Who in your life is pouring into you? Who in your life is like a mother or a father? You see, in the letter that Paul, the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy to urge the people, the fathers, to teach the young men. And he tells them to urge the mothers, the older women, you can figure out how old is old, I don't care, right? The older women to teach the younger women. This idea of modeling faith, of demonstrating the life as one in the kingdom, it doesn't happen from having the right intellectual knowledge. It happens from having the right relationships with the right people who are walking the right kind of life. That you can see in them, that's who I aspire to be. Who in your life do you look to? Who do you say, I want to be like that? And so I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to go where they go. Or maybe if you're older, however old that is, maybe you need to be asking, who am I mentoring? Who am I teaching what it means to live this life of faith? And not just in the words I speak, but in the way that I live. Hi, this is Chris from The Point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. As a guy who talks with my hands, this is going to be really tough. Two weeks in a row. Before we begin today's sermon, I need to ask for your help. I want to do something today I've never done before, and I can only do it if you commit to doing it with me. So before you know what it is, will you commit to doing something with me we've never done before? Nobody? Nobody's willing to? Okay, well, here's what it is, and and maybe I can talk you into it. Later today, I want to ask you a simple question, a really simple question. I even want to provide for you answers that you could then say A, B, C, D, or E, and you could tell us what your answer is, all right? But in order to do that, I need your help. So if you have a phone, feel free to pull it out. In fact, I encourage you to pull it out at this moment right now. All right. And here's what we're going to put on the screen. In order for you to participate in this question and answer this brief little survey, here's what you need to do. You need to text the word, the point Knox, 846. I wish we could have customized it. It would have been 865, but we can't. So the point Knox, 846. Put that in the message and text it to the number 22333. Go ahead and do that right now. And then when we're ready for the survey later, all you'll have to do is text in a letter, A, B, C, D, or E, all right? So the point knocks, 846, and you can text it to 22333. And if you're joining us online, you can participate in this as well because this question will be for all of us, all right? Cool, I'm seeing faces still staring at your phone, so I'm just checking. Once you're ready, I'll keep going. Okay. 
And now we get back to Philippians. The point knocks, 846, texted to 22333. Okay? Philippians, however, maybe we can just leave this up for a moment while I, I introduce Philippians. In this letter, Paul writes all sorts of really wonderful and challenging and encouraging things to the people of Philippi. He warns them about living different than this world. He encourages them to seek Jesus as the only king, the one that they give everything for. And then we get to this second half of chapter two. And I have to be really honest, this part's really boring, at least initially. Have you ever read a part of scripture and you're like, who cares all of that stuff? Like, what does that have to do with me today? If you haven't read a part of scripture like that, just go back and read the book of Numbers, really any part of it, and you might feel that way. Well, in this section of Philippians, Paul is writing a travel itinerary. Who's excited to read a 2,000-year-old travel plan? Anyone? Okay. So I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to go back and unpack it, and I'll show you why this is much more exciting than it first appears. All right, here it is. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I may, uh, or should, unless, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, honor, or, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is Philippians. You excited yet? All right. This is a 2,000-year-old travel itinerary. As I, I mentioned before, Paul, as he's writing this letter, is imprisoned in Rome. And to give you a little bit of backstory, if you were a prisoner, you were responsible for taking care of yourself. Like they didn't give you food or blankets or clothes. You had to have somebody, friends or family, who would care for you by sending money for you to then purchase from the government these things you needed to survive. And if you had nobody who would send money or who would bring you these things, you were just left to die in a prison. And so Paul, being imprisoned with nobody to care for him, reached out and the church responded. 
Specifically, the church of Philippi sent a man named Ephrodites with money they had raised to take it to Paul so that Paul could be taken care of. But along the way, Ephrodites got sick. And we don't know how he got sick or what he got sick with, but along the way, he got sick. And it wasn't real simple like you could just Venmo somebody some money. It wasn't real simple like he could just get on a plane and be there in a few hours. No, it was a months-long journey for him to bring this money to Paul to take care of Paul. All the while, Paul is just barely surviving. Along the way, Ephroditus gets sick, and they hear rumor that he's sick. And they're left wondering, did he make it? Did he die on the way? Like, is Paul now dead too? What happened? So Paul, he writes in this letter that he's sending to them two people, a man named Timothy and also Ephroditus. Now, Timothy, that's probably a name you're familiar with. Like Ephroditus, how many of you knew who that was before just now? Anyone? Okay, a couple of you have read the Bible before, but by and large, Ephroditus is not a name that normally rolls off our tongue really easily, right? But Timothy, like that dude's pretty legit. Paul mentions Timothy all the time. Not only this, Paul writes two entire letters to a man named Timothy. If you don't know what those letters are, they're called First and Second Timothy. Pretty simple. Paul, he writes these letters to Timothy to teach Timothy how to be a pastor, how to lead the church. See, Ephroditus, he was just one of the group. He was one, one among many, a believer who by himself was nothing special, nothing unique, had no special title or training or anything. He just was committed to the sake of the gospel, to the work of the kingdom, to sharing this good news with others. Timothy, on the other hand, he had actually been entrusted with leading a church, and not just leading a church, with gathering other leaders together and equipping other leaders to lead the church. And Timothy had, on multiple occasions, in almost every case, actually traveled with Paul, so much so that at times he'd been imprisoned with Paul, and he'd suffered with Paul, and he was there side by side. So Timothy on the sur or Paul on the surface is writing to the people in Philippi saying, it's my hope that soon Ephroditus can come back to you because I want you to know Ephroditus is okay. I'm okay. Good job. Well done. And also he's kind of homesick. But as soon as I find out whether or not I will be put to death or be released, as soon as I know what will happen, then I'm going to send Timothy to let you know the good news. And I hope and I believe I will follow shortly after. So that's kind of the premise the story surrounding what Paul is writing right here. So now let's get into it specifically. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, just previously, Paul had written that we should do everything out of humility, that we should consider other people's interests first. He wrote just previously about living contrary to this world, about being a citizen of the kingdom of God ahead of being a citizen of the kingdom of this world. 
And he writes these things to the people of Philippi. Things that if word got wind, or if, if the wrong people got wind of this word and, and, and it began to spread, they could actually be charged with treason and end up in prison too. So after writing about just how difficult it is to live a life worthy of the gospel, Paul says, here's what I want to do. I want to send to you a man named Timothy. Because he, unlike so many others, he actually doesn't look to his own interest. See, Paul's not just saying, let me tell you the way it's supposed to be. He's saying, let me not just tell you, let me also send you somebody whom you know, who you already have a relationship to, and you can look to that person and say, yes, it is possible to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is possible to put other people's interests first because here in Timothy, we have a living example. Somebody we can look to and go, that's the kind of man or person I want to be. I want to live like that person. I want my life to be filled with that kind of love. I want to be filled with the compassion and the wisdom and the knowledge that he has. I know it's possible because I see it in him. Do you have anybody in your world like that? A person that you, every time you interact with them, you just feel better? Like they lift up your spirits and you feel like you walked away wiser? You walked away a better person because you interacted with that person? He says, look, I desire to send Timothy because he, he, he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, the kind of man or woman, the kind of person who can be this example of what it looks like to live as a citizen worthy of the gospel is one who's authentic, one who's genuine. His care isn't fabricated. It's not something he does so that other people like him. It's not something he does because it's the right thing to do. No, he simply genuinely cares. Do you have someone like that in your life? He goes on. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's proven worth. What's implied here by Paul is something so much more than just proof. Let me share with you the facts. But proof that comes through trial by fire. Proof that comes through overcoming great obstacles. Proof that comes from suffering, which creates character. Look, Paul or Timothy, he has proven his worth. See, Timothy's been right there beside Paul. He's walked through the dark valleys. He's been in those dangerous places. He's lived that difficult life that others can see in him. There's joy in the midst of suffering. So because he's proven his worth, you know this, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul, he repeatedly talks about Timothy like a son, like Timothy is his own, even though they're of no biological relation. And we can look at this on the surface level like, uh, oh yeah, you know, he just kind of adopted him and took him on. He's thankful that he's there as a partner, but it's so much more than something really simple. You see, when Paul writes that Timothy is like a son with a father, we have to first recognize that the way you and I view our fathers 
is fundamentally different than the way most of the world through most of history has viewed our fathers. You see, for most of history in most cultures around the world, you were whatever your father was. You became whoever he was. You did whatever he did. And you didn't do this because you went to school to be formally trained. You did this because you spent each and every day with your father side by side as they were doing their work. You did it with them. And even in a culture where we don't really value our elders and our fathers in the same way, we know this to be true. How many of you have kids, grown or little, it doesn't matter? How many of you know that kids are literally just your sinfulness with two legs? Anybody? Right? Because your children will fundamentally become exactly like you, whether you want them to or not. Several months back, my wife and I were having a conversation in private after the kids were in bed, or so I thought. And we were talking about a book she was reading that was all about parenting, which I need all the help I can get from. So she's sharing with me about this book, and in the book, it talked about how parents often try to control their children. And they think less about how am I shaping and forming them, and more about how do I get them to do what I want. You ever been there, parents? So we talk about how I need to let go of control of my kids in things that don't matter. And not a few days later, we're eating dinner and Elijah's refusing to eat the food I put in front of him. And if you have kids, you know that gets really irritating really fast. And if you don't have kids, it gets really irritating really fast. (laughs) And I started to raise my voice and all of my sinful ugliness began to rear its head. And I began to yell at him, go to bed hungry and all those things that parents say, right? And then Elijah who apparently was awake just a few nights earlier, said, Dad, you're just trying to control me right now. (laughs) You're not wrong, son, but I don't want to hear it. I'm walking away. Your kids, thank you, sir. That's to be debated, but thank you. Your kids are watching everything you're doing. And there was once a time where they were watching with expectation to become like you. Now here's the deal, if your kids, if you did everything you could to raise them right and they grew up and they went off and they became terrible monsters, that may not be on you. But they're certainly still watching somebody, learning from somebody and saying, I wanna be like that. Because every one of us become who we look to. We become who we're surrounded by. We become the influencers we follow. There used to be a day when our last names even demonstrated this. Like if you've met somebody named John Smith, there's a good chance that somewhere back in the day, their ancestor was a blacksmith, right? We used to name people, oh, those are the Smiths. They're the ones who do that job. This is who they are. And it just kind of became a last name in perpetuity. Paul, he's writing about Timothy and he says, look, you, you need to have Timothy, I'm going to send him to you because he is like a son with a father to me. See, Timothy has walked beside me and learned from me. He's witnessed my way of life. He's been there when things got hard. He's learned everything about how I think and how I live. Often when it comes to mentoring, we think, well, I can't be a mentor because I'm not perfect. 
if you've ever read the Gospels, or the, not the Gospels, but the New Testament, you'll see Paul wasn't perfect either. In fact, he repeatedly got it wrong. To be a mentor of somebody else, you don't need to be perfect. You need to be honest. You need to be willing to speak the truth when it's uncomfortable, even if that truth means I have screwed up. And so wanting to raise my kids to believe this, I cooled down and I came back to that dinner table and I said, Elijah, you're right. I'm trying to control you. I don't care what you eat. This is what's available. That's it. Sure enough, he ate most of the food I put in front of him. But while I was trying to control him, not so much. See, Timothy was a mentee of Paul's. Timothy witnessed everything Paul did and said, I want to be like that. And in doing so, his life changed and he was of proven worth. Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy so that you know not just that I'm okay, but I'm sending you Timothy so that you can see there is hope for somebody to live like this. And maybe in that hope, you also can live like this. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, before we get to Ephroditus, let me just pause right there. Who in your life is pouring into you? Who in your life is like a mother or a father? You see, in the letter that Paul, the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy to urge the people, the fathers, to teach the young men. And he tells them to urge the mothers, the older women, you can figure out how old is old, I don't care, right? The older women to teach the younger women. This idea of modeling faith, of demonstrating the life as one in the kingdom, it doesn't happen from having the right intellectual knowledge. It happens from having the right relationships with the right people who are walking the right kind of life. That you can see in them, that's who I aspire to be. Who in your life do you look to? Who do you say, I want to be like that? And so I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to go where they go. Or maybe if you're older, however old that is, maybe you need to be asking, who am I mentoring? Who am I teaching what it means to live this life of faith? And not just in the words I speak, but in the way that I live. All right, so here's that question I have for you in just a moment. I believe one way that we can find these people, we can discover people to become like, people we want to uh, imitate for the sake of the gospel and learn from, I believe one way that we can do that is by beginning to serve, to partner with people who are serving, to say, I want to be like you in these things. And and I wore this shirt today on purpose. It says, warning, uh, anything you say or do can be used in a sermon. Uh, warning, you've been warned, and now I'm going to tell you about a few people here at the point who don't want to be called out by name. Do you guys know Sarah and Jody Dearmore? Every single week since we moved into this building, they've been here five to six hours a week sanitizing and vacuuming and scrubbing toilets. Not so that anybody sees them doing it, and they're probably going to kick me later for calling them out. 
but they do it because they want you and me to have a clean space to gather and feel safe. See, if you join an impact team and you begin to serve, you get to meet people like them. So, hey, look, it's not about me. And I'll scrub all kinds of crap off that toilet. It's not about me. Or, or maybe Nick Mercer, and I'll pick on him because he's not here today, so I can. He works nights, and when he serves, he literally comes straight from work. If time allows, he showers first. But otherwise, he comes straight from working all night long to be here to serve. Now, that's not to praise him or Sarah or Jody. No, that's to say, look, there are people on these impact teams that I want to be like. And I want to I become like them in so many ways. I could go on and on quite literally about every person who serves in every position, all of the volunteers we have here at the point. I would say like Timothy, I want you to become like them. And so I believe when we say, I'm going to step out, I'm going to begin to serve, I'm going to meet these people and spend time with people I've never spent time with, I believe you will see in each one of them characteristics, qualities, ways of living that you and I should emulate. So you have your phones out? Here's the question I have for you. All right, if you have your phone, what keeps you from serving? Five simple answers. What, what hinders you from serving? One, maybe you've never been asked. That would be A. B, you're too busy. C, you don't know where to serve. D, you've been burned out or, or maybe you've been burned before by serving. And then E, you're just not ready to commit to this church or to a new lifestyle or to serving, whatever it is. You're just not yet ready to commit. There's no right or wrong answer. We just, to that text, the 22333 that you texted earlier, Will you respond A, B, C, D, or E? All right, I'm going to come back to this question. And you can leave this on the screen for just a moment, but let's look at Ephroditus. First off, what a name, right? Ephroditus. Anyway, one of the things I love about Ephroditus, this obscure character, he's just one of us. And I, I can't even say one of us because I... I'm kind of weird, like in many ways, but one of those weird things that I, is actually, I think, a disadvantage to me is I get to have the job of being a pastor. And, and the reason that's a disadvantage is because people look to the pastor to have an answer for everything, or they look at the pastor with some really weird looks in their eyes. Like I try to avoid telling people what I do for a living when I meet them for the first time, because their whole body language changes the moment they find out I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, I need to make sure I don't say the wrong words or do the wrong things, even though they have no idea who I am. I, I have fundamentally a disadvantage when it comes to living out faith because everybody expects it from the pastor. And when everybody expects it from the pastor, in some ways it carries less weight. But what I love about Ephrodite is, is he's not a pastor and he's living out this faith in a remarkable example. He's living out this faith in a way that is really inspiring. Here goes. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephrodite, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. I'm going to come back to each of these images that he uses to describe Ephroditus. But first, 
For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. I just love that little line. He's been distressed, like he's worried, he's anxious, he's struggling because he heard that you heard that he was sick. He's worried and he wants to calm them, to bring them peace. Look, guys, I'm okay. God miraculously brought me through whatever that illness was. I'm okay. You can have peace. And he's homesick. He says, indeed, he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. See, Paul sees Ephroditus as such an encouragement, such a source of hope, such a place of joy, a person of joy, that for Paul to lose Ephroditus would have been sorrow upon sorrow. It would have been devastating to him. He says, I praise God. God brought him through, not only for his sake, but also so that I don't have to bear that pain. And I'm going to say something really uncomfortable to say right now. God works miracles even today. And sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes in his mercy, the person who's sick gets better. The person who needs healing gets healed. And sometimes they don't. And so when we lose those people or when the sickness prevails, I don't know why that happens. But Paul, he's pretty honest. When that happens, it's extremely painful. And if you're in this place where you're waiting for that miracle for somebody you love, keep asking God. And pray that he has mercy, that you don't endure that sorrow and suffering. And yet, all of Paul's letter, if you endure that suffering, God is still good. And it will still be okay. The last thing about that, if you're in that place of suffering, don't do it alone. Invite us into it. Let us know. Let us care for you out of genuine care. So here's Ephroditus. God has given him mercy and saved him. Paul, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. See, the pain that they were in was creating for Paul anxiety. Look, I want him to return to you so that you, you can have peace and I can have peace. What I love about this is Paul is writing about an ordinary person, just like you and me. And Paul's writing and says, this person really matters to me, to the kingdom, to God, and obviously to one another. So let's back up to the ways he describes Ephroditus first. Ephroditus, my brother, this is in verse 25. Throughout the New Testament, Christians are often described as brothers. And some translations add brothers and sisters because while it's a masculine uh, word, it, it also refers kind of the idea of family. So um, some say brothers and sisters, but it doesn't really matter. The idea is that you and I as Christians are more than just associates. We don't just fill the same building for the same space or, or occupy the same hour if we're joining online. No, you and I, if we are Christians, are at our core different. We're brothers. 
We're family. We should have this personal and meaningful relationship that is not just cordial, let, let you teach me something and then me go on my way, or, or let's just have a transaction, I'll give something, you give something, and we'll call that good. No, a deep and meaningful connection. You matter, and I know the things that are hurting you, and you know the things that are hurting me, and we both know what we're afraid of and what brings us peace and joy. And we can see it in each other's faces when today is not your day and reminds you it'll be okay. And we can walk with you when it's not. Paul, he says, look, I want to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, a person he deeply cared about. So I want to ask, who is your brother or sister? Do you have those people in this community that you care deeply about, and you can know when you read a text something is off, they're not okay today? And you can know when you see them in person that, hey, they, they need some encouragement today, or maybe vice versa? See, if we're not that kind of a family, we really don't have much to offer that's different than this world. You guys don't need a good self-help or motivational speech or any kind of positive reinforcement in your world. What you need, what I need, is people who deeply and genuinely care about you. One of the things I love about our impact teams is they care about one another. And they, they notice each other and say, how can I care for you today? How can I love you tomorrow? My brother my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, my fellow worker. You see, Paul doesn't see himself as on this pedestal and built up and elevated. He's the guy you should look to. No, Paul sees himself as an equal with every other believer. We are in this together. To live in Knoxville as a citizen worthy of the kingdom requires hard work. Because there will be people who don't want to hear it. Not only that, there will be people that are hurting that we don't necessarily see. And it takes work to endure this work of putting other people's interests first. To look out for their well-being and say, what does this city need? And how can we provide it? My fellow worker, equal on every level. My fellow soldier. Did you know that you and I are called to war? And in today's culture where we're hypersensitive and a little bit ultra-violent, let me clarify, we are not called to violence, but we are most certainly called to war. On behalf of this city, on behalf of our neighbors, on behalf of our bosses, on behalf of our families, we are called to war. Paul, he writes elsewhere, it's not against flesh and blood, but principalities, against darkness in this present age, we are called to hit our knees in prayer on behalf of those around us to say, God, I'm coming before you for the sake of this city and this community. You alone can fight this battle. My fellow soldier, your messenger and minister. We often think of ministers like me, pastors, right? That guy who's been trained, who's up on the stage. And I think there's a place where pastors have value, at least I hope so. Uh, 
But what scripture paints of this picture of ministers that we have lost is that you and I are co-ministers. Ministry, quite literally, is a mission, a purpose that we've been called to, a work that we must endure. You, as a plumber, or as a graphic designer, or as a stay-at-home mom, or whatever job you may fill in that blank, you share in the exact same work that I share. The same purpose, the same mission, to live as a citizen worthy of the gospel. To love our neighbor and have genuine concern for them. Your role, whether as a stay-at-home mom or as a CEO, is no different than mine. And I believe that when we begin to have people who are pouring into us, and when we begin to have living examples, people we can look to to say, that's what life could be like. And we begin to be a family that cares for one another on every level. I believe this ministry that we're called to will begin to actually be fulfilled. And will begin to happen. And our neighbors and our bosses and our coworkers will look at you and say, there's something about you. More importantly, about your God, who's so unlike every other Christian I've met. I had a meeting earlier this week with some business owners and some neighbors in this community. And one of the things that came out in this meeting is by and large, they're really grieved. And they're really grieved because they look at the church collectively across Knoxville and they see the church doing a lot of things for their own interest. Let me love and let me serve, let me care so that you join me on Sunday morning. Let me love and let me serve and let me care so that our name can be built up. As opposed to, what if the church loved out of genuine interest, a desire to consider others first? It's not about us and it's not about this place and it's not about our egos. It's about loving others and caring for them. As I sat in that meeting, a meeting full of people who had no idea I was a pastor in their very neighborhood, I couldn't help but think what would look different if we as the church here in this neighborhood began to see ourselves as ministers of this gospel. We have a purpose wherever we go and in whatever we're doing. And in order to fulfill that purpose, like Ephrodites, like Timothy, we have to give up some of ourself. Say, I want to learn to be like somebody else, that I can serve when it's needed, wherever it's needed, that I can share this good news no matter the cost, that I can stand firm, genuine in love for others. So I'm going to come back to that survey. I asked you, what keeps you from serving? To be totally honest, I don't care if you ever join an impact team here at The Point. I don't care. My hope and my prayer for each one of us is that we would have people like Timothy we look to who can mentor us, who we can begin to emulate and become like. And we have people like Ephroditus, like our brothers, our fellow soldiers, who will fight for us and with us, who will love us through anything. And I believe you can get that in an impact team. And you can also find that someplace else. 
So I don't care if you begin serving here or not. I care that you meet Jesus through the people he's given you, his body, the church. I also, on the flip side, believe that serving with one another helps us to love each other. So what hinders you from serving? Let's, can we put up those results or do you need to pull them real quick? All right, I forgot to give the warning. What hinders you from serving? All right, most of you have, have been asked. Well, that's good news. Here's me asking again. That's a pretty even split. You're too busy. You don't know where to serve. Maybe you've been burned out before. Uh, I want to start with the been burned out. Serving in a church should never be about how much can we get from you. Ever. And so if it's been in this place or in this congregation or another one, let me start by saying, I'm sorry. We don't want to take advantage of you and make you feel manipulated into doing something you don't want to do. And if you've been there before, please forgive us. But you don't know where to serve or you're too busy. You know what? Those are two things that we can do a lot to help you with. There's a long list of places you can serve, everything from joining Sarah and Jody and cleaning or greeting people and saying hello, or being up here in the band, or making coffee. And even for people online, joining us on live stream, there's tons of ways you could serve. Like you could join our CarePoint team and commit to praying for the needs of this church, even remotely. Or commit to organizing meals for people who are sick, even if you're not the one in person to deliver them. There are lots of ways that we can serve, and we serve not in any way out of obligation, but as an opportunity to connect with other people and to join in the work that God is doing. So to the being too busy part, here's what I want to ask of you. What would be worth it for you? You see, our schedules are given entirely to the things we care the most about. So what in this community would be worth your schedule? Would it be having a brother someone who stands beside you and loves you and cares for your every need? Because you'll find that in an impact team. What about a fellow soldier, somebody you can fight with, not like you're fighting with them, but they're standing side by side together to say, you are not alone. Let's hit our knees in prayer together and let God do what he does. Because you'll find that on an impact team. So what makes it worth it to you? I want to encourage each and every one of you today to ask, is there a place for me here? And if there's not, if there's not a place where you think now's the time, or maybe I'm not equipped, or maybe I'm not somebody that other people should look to to become like, we're not ever asking you to be perfect, but to be honest. Here's who I am, and I want to get to know you too. Coming back to the text, we'll end with this. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. None of us can do this journey of faith or life alone. None of us can love and serve our city alone. We need each other. And I believe when we come together and we stand side by side and we love one another, 
What is lacking in my service can be made up in you and vice versa. And together, we will see God move in Knoxville and the surrounding area and maybe wherever you're at on live stream, God will move in that too. And across this country and world, we'll see God's kingdom advance far more than our own and than our name. That's what I'm praying for. Will you join me in that prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Timothy and for Aphrodite's. God, examples, living examples of what it means to be worthy of the gospel. People willing to put the interests and the needs of others first. Willing to sacrifice and to give up for the sake of gaining your kingdom. God, I pray that each one of us would be like them. God, that we would see in them encouragement to say, we can do this too. I ask that we would begin to be mentors and mentees to one another, that we would learn from each other, that we would have an attitude that wants to imitate the very people you've placed in our lives, and that we in turn can be the kind of people others would want to imitate. God, I pray for an attitude that is genuine, out of care and compassion for each other. Would you show us where to serve and how to make a difference, not just here in this community, but in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, wherever we may go, whatever we may do, may we go as citizens of the gospel. And may we go knowing that you are with us, whatever may come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we are going to collect an offering. If you're somebody who prefers physical offering, cash or check, you can do that in the popcorn buckets when you exit later today. And if you don't prefer that, but you'd rather give electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com. Uh, you just click on the little blue button and that'll help you give in a totally safe and secure way. We don't collect an offering in this place because we need your money. We are confident God will provide. Rather, we collect in this place as an opportunity to partner with what God is doing and say, I want to join in all things, my time and my talent and even my treasure, to say yes to what you're doing and to be a part of loving and serving this community. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. And now uh, one of my favorite parts of the morning where I get to respond to your questions. And, and I've got a question for Emily actually before you ask me these questions. Yeah. Um, for anybody who wants to sign up for an impact team, how do they do that? Great question. Thepointknox.com, honestly, everything's there all the time. So that's a great place all the time. But head to thepointknox.com, scroll down to sign up. Um, Casey and Alan's picture is on that one. So just get a glimpse now, look for them. Um, <laughs> and from there, just click on the button that says impact teams and everything that you need to know will be right there. And if you're anything like me and uh, super forgetful and kind of procrastinate, I encourage you to like, take some time right now to do that this moment if you would like, uh, so you don't forget later and we'll reach out to you and try to help you find a way that you can serve. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we've got quite a, well, we have a handful of questions. They're kind of all over the place though. So buckle in. Uh, first, credit where credit's due. Pastor Adam has the best t-shirts. Thank you. Agreed. <laughs> um, next question. If the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies, 
That's, I think, referring to the song from earlier. Does that mean that he also prepares the table for those who consider me to be their enemy? Yes. Great. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, he did should say should you, I give more? We are uh, running late, and you did say you'd be brief. That's good. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Is youth group going to become a priority at the point? Ooh, yeah. So, um, yes and no. Uh, here's the real answer. I, it's always been a priority, but we haven't always had youth. We've gone through seasons where all the youth graduated and moved to college, and then we didn't have any more. Uh, now we're in a season where you look around, and there's a lot of younger kids, like middle school and even younger. We've got a handful of high schoolers. So the answer is absolutely uh, I would love to create a space for them to connect with each other and love one another better and to be led to grow in faith. So if you're somebody who's really interested in helping make that happen, maybe you want to commit to being one of those older people who mentors younger people. Uh, I would love your help in making that happen. Amen. Um, okay, next question. We're just getting through this. Knock them out. Um, I've never participated in Lent before. I know it's coming up and was wondering if we will get a service or sermon explaining it in more detail. I know you're supposed to give up something or fast. Any suggestions on that? Thank you. Yeah, so two different questions. Will we have a unique sermon or service explaining Lent? Not really, but if you come to Ash Wednesday, there will be a little bit of talking about what the whole 40 days of Lent is about. Um, so join us 6.30 on February 17th here in this space for Ash Wednesday. I'm excited for that service. Uh, and then every Wednesday after that during Lent, you can gather again. We can hear God's word. We can encourage one another. It'll be really great. Um, so now to the question about fasting. Um, short answer is you don't have to give anything up but we're all people who are easily in love with the wrong things. So giving something up can be an opportunity to see just how much your focus or your attention has perhaps been divided on the wrong things. So if you're interested in learning how to grow and uh, letting go of things that aren't helpful or necessary, then I would say absolutely consider fasting something. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Christ said, okay, I'm not the pastor here, so just bear with me as I say these words. Christ said, <laughs> Call no man teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Christ. But you and Paul seem to be advocating a pedagogical? Pedagogical. Okay. Refers to teaching. Relationship. Can you please comment on this? Why would Paul advocate for pedagogy? Good work. <laughs> and Christ admonish it. Yeah, so... There's a lot there. The really simple answer is Christ never meant like have no teacher besides me in the context of don't listen to anybody else. Rather, and Paul writes this in other places, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if the person you're looking to as an example is looking to somebody or something other than Jesus, they're probably not the person you want to be led by. Um, but if the person you're looking to is looking to Jesus, they can be a helpful person to show you uh, what it means to live this way. And real simply put, like Jesus had disciples, which quite literally disciples looked to a teacher and began to emulate them like we would an apprenticeship today. You do what they did, you say what they said until eventually the distinction between you is almost gone. And then those disciples went out and the apostles, they had disciples like 
Paul taking Timothy. Um, and so the idea that we learn from someone else is all throughout scripture. You just want to make sure the one you're learning from is learning it from Jesus and looking to him. Beautiful. Um, okay. I w unfortunately hopped all around these questions and so I'm like, ah, okay. Best way to have a conversation about serving, email, phone. Yep. We'll talk to you about serving in any way possible. <laughs> Smoke signals, I haven't learned yet, but I'll try. <laughs> if you do fill out the, the form online, that'll be through email. So that's simple, but. Um, okay, two questions left, three questions left, but one's quick. How can we serve if we're not in the area? If you're not in the area, we definitely would love people who would like to organize um, care packages for people who are sick or who are in the hospital or, or maybe just had a baby. So if you like to organize and plan things like that, you can do that remotely. And if you're not in the area, you can also sign up to serve uh, by praying and committing to praying for all the prayer needs that come in every week and say, I will lift these up in prayer. And that is a huge service. Absolutely. Speaking of praying, so if I pray for the pain and suffering to stop, and for God to just take that person that is suffering, does that mean you have no faith? No. I, I think questioning your faith because of your pain or confusion or situation isn't helpful. I don't think we're called to question that at all. Um, when it comes to praying for the suffering to stop, there's a reality that we want these people who are hurting that we love to have God's mercy and God's mercy comes when they're not suffering any longer. And sometimes that happens through miraculous healing. And sometimes that happens through death. Now, even then, death is not good, which is why our hope is in the promise of the resurrection. That Jesus will one day restore even that death that has separated them and torn them from us. And so... And we absolutely can pray for him to help people by ending their suffering and having mercy on them. And we can pray for him to miraculously heal. And we can trust whatever he does, he's good. And he knows better than we do. Amen. Last question. Uh-oh. It was texted and I just remember it. Okay. What is God's favorite color? I hope this is a joke because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't text it in. Oh. I was hoping there's like a, a funny joke at the end of that. I'm sure but, there, yeah. that's what I was hoping you would like have one. No, I, God's favorite color is a prism. I don't know. A prism. That was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, God's favorite color. Thank you for that question. I have no idea. It doesn't talk about it in the Bible, but since he created all colors, I imagine he can see them more than we can and probably has a favorite color we can't even understand. Ooh, yeah. That's good. Um, one other question that came in with that baptism question was... Uh, why do people applaud and celebrate after songs? It feels like they're praising the band instead of God. And should we discourage that? So my answer is, uh, if you're praising the band and celebrating how they sounded, yes, I 100% say stop it. And if you're saying, it, they sound great, but they are not the ones we're here to praise. Uh, if, however, you're celebrating like, God, I, I'm really thankful and I'm really appreciative of you and the things we're singing like, hey, hallelujah, this is awesome. Yeah, you're free to clap and celebrate. You can, you can dance in the aisles. I'm not going to because you don't want to <laughs> see that. But sure, you can. Um, I will say that I don't recall a time when we've encouraged like, hey, you should clap in this moment. So uh, it's not a thing we encourage, but also not a thing we discourage and uh, just Check yourself. Live your dreams. Yeah. I mean, check yourself. Yeah, yeah. live your dreams. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> What's your motive? If your motive's wrong, don't do it. 
There you go. Uh, with that, thank you for your questions. You're always welcome to text them in even during the week and we'll do our best to try to respond to them later, if not later today or later uh, next Sunday. So receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.